you know, somebody heard somebody preach. Nothing wrong with, with hearing somebody preach and writing. I've done that a million times. But this here in our text, it, it, sometimes you just get a message, you're like, man, that's from the Lord. Uh, it's, it's just clear that God has a message for our men and our fathers today. And I love the life of David, but this is David's final psalm. This is his final words in 2 Samuel 23. Uh, he is now passing the baton, what looked like Adonijah in 1 Kings 1, was, who was another son of, of, of David, uh, was going to be king. He, he had promoted himself. We'll say a little bit more about that in a minute. But it was supposed to be Solomon. Solomon was the next king, and of course he was the king, a great king of Israel. And David, his father, uh, I believe, was, was conveying these last words and, and had Solomon in mind when he was saying these. Uh, and so today we come to the end of David's life and there was one more battle left in David that he had to go through in his dying moments in, in chapter 23. And that was to assure that Solomon would be the next king of Israel and sit on the throne of, of, of Israel. And so there was one more heartbreak David had to experience in having to make sure that his son was the next king of Israel. And there was a, a, another son by the name of Adonijah who did not uh, or was not supposed to become king. And, and we learned a very important lesson in David and how he dealt with Adonijah versus how he dealt with, with Solomon. Adonijah was the full brother younger brother of another son by the name of David, by the name of Absalom. Well, we know how Absalom turned out. He, he, David loved Absalom, but he was a huge disappointment and a, a huge hurt to David. And so Adonijah was dealt maybe in a way where, where David was a little bit more gentle with him, but to a fault. Turn with me to 1 Kings 1. It's just a couple chapters over. 1 Kings chapter 1. And we'll begin in verse number 5. Now this is Adonijah, the son of David, who is the full brother of Absalom, the younger full brother. Look at verse number 5. This is right after David is now old and stricken in years. They've covered him with the clothes and he is dying. Verse 5, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king, and, me be, and he prepared him chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. Look at verse 6. And his father, well, who was his father? It was David. His father had not displeased him at any time in saying, Why hast thou done so? Or, Adonijah, why are you doing this? And the Bible says that he never did that. Matter of fact, that word displeased in verse 6 is the same word as we get correct or corrected. So David at any time never corrected Adonijah. And so Adonijah now thinks that, well, daddy's dying, so I'm going to be the next king. David never looked at Adonijah and said, no, your brother's going to be king. Your, your, your half-brother, Solomon, he's going to be king. It's not the will of God for you to. He never told Adonijah, according to verse 6, no. And he was also a very goodly man. I don't think there was really anything wrong with Adonijah. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that Adonijah was a problem like his brother Absalom 
What I'm saying is it wasn't God's will and his mother bare him after Absalom. Here's what I get from that verse about David. To be a good dad, we must be willing to be our child's parents before we're their buddy. The way I read 1 Kings 1 and verse 6, it, it sounds like he never displeased his son. Basically, whatever Adonijah wanted to do, David was okay with it. Maybe it was because of Absalom, I'm not sure. But I know this, that was not a very good parenting tip on David's part because it did create a problem. Mom and Dad, can I just say this? Stop trying to be your kid's buddy and be their parent. You know it's healthy in, in the relationship with your children to say no? Now, now there's sometimes we say yes because it's a good thing. So, so let's not turn off the yeses because when they're wanting to do right and when they're wanting to do things, hey, say yes and give them permission and give them, hey, that's great, but, but there must be a no. And listen, there must be consequences after that no when they decide to do the yes instead of the no. David never had that in his arsenal of, of, of raising up children. And here's another thing. If, if character is to be formed in the heart of a child, we must be willing to discipline our children even at the price of popularity with them. So you may say, well, I want my kids to like me. I want my kids to love me. I want to be the most popular. I want to be the, the one that ever all the kids just like. Listen. Nowhere in my Bible do I see that's our command. There's going to be things as a parent, decisions that you make that's not going to be very popular with the children. They're not going to like it. They're not going to say, yay, dad, or yay, mom, or yay. Hey, but as, as the, listen, as the father figure of the home, and you're looking at it saying, well, I don't always want to be the bad guy. Listen to me. If it's a matter between right and wrong, be the bad guy. Be the bad guy. I know that went over like screen doors on a submarine to some of you, but we, we, we got to do, listen, we've got to do what's right. And there is a great redemption story in the life, though, of David's wife Bathsheba. Now, you know, Bathsheba gets a bad rap in the Bible, and but you understand a lot of that was David's fault. We all, Bathsheba, but she ought to cover it up. She shouldn't have been bathing on the roof and all. Yeah, David shouldn't have been lusting. David, of course, a long story, but we're not even going to get into that, though we'll talk about Uriah in just a little bit. There is a neat redemption story in this part of the wife of Bathsheba. She was very instrumental in 1 Kings chapter 1 with the prophet Nathan, uh, the high priest Zadok, and Benaiah, uh, the commander of the army, to place the rightful king, which was Solomon, on the throne. God literally used Bathsheba to get her son on the throne which I think is pretty neat. And so the focus to which I want to bring our attention this morning, be it that it's Father's Day, I want, the, I want our attention to be drawn to the, the final words of David to Solomon. I want to merge them to the attributes of David's mighty men, which is also found in 2 Samuel chapter 23. Let's look at verse number 1 of 2 Samuel 23, and let's read these first three verses. The Bible says, Now these be the last words of David. David the son of Jesse said, And the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet 
psalmist of Israel said. The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and His word was in my tongue. And the God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spake to me, he, notice this phrase, that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. I want to just preach with God's help for a few minutes this morning on this. What kind of men are mighty men? What kind of men are mighty men. You understand, church, and I'm not going to try to be anything this morning other than biblical, but there is an attack on manhood in today's society. It is hard to find a real man today. It is even harder to find a real man who loves Jesus. It is even harder to find a real man that loves Jesus who will stand when everybody else bows. Here in our text, you ought to be encouraged that David basically lays out for you the material and the things that makes up a mighty man. The first thing that I want to bring our attention to is really found in the first three verses. God makes... The man. That's basically what David is saying. David recognizes it was God who raised him up and admonished Solomon. It was also God that raised Solomon up. So God is raising the next king in the early part of Solomon's career. He followed his father's advice and recognized God as the supreme source. Here's what Solomon said in 2 Chronicles chapter 1 and verse 10. He said, give me now wisdom. Solomon could have had anything, but, but he, he asked for wisdom. He asked for knowledge that I may go out and come in before his people. Who can judge this, thy people, that is so great? Solomon could have had anything in the world, but what did he pray for? He prayed and asked God for wisdom. What do we need to do today? We need to ask God for wisdom. Hey, it takes a wise man to raise up children. I mean godly children. Anybody can be a dad, only a few can be a godly father, right? We've got we've to have wisdom. Solomon said the same thing in 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 7 and 9. He said, I'm just a little child. I know not. Give therefore thy servant understanding heart and to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad for he who is able to judge this thy great people. Listen, Solomon understood how how big of a deal it was for him to rule God's people and be over God's people. And he said, God, I need your wisdom. That should be our prayer. What makes a man? God makes a man. Man doesn't make a man. Listen, you can't get wisdom from man. Wisdom comes from God. We should always understand that God made us who we are. Samuel espoused this truth to Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15 when he said to Samuel said to David, Was thou little in thine own sight? Or to Saul, rather. Was thou little in thine own sight? Was thou not made the head over the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed the king uh, the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. The psalmist said, uh, Know ye that the Lord, he is God, it is he that hath made us. And not we ourselves, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Listen, it sounds like to me, church, 
that God is the one that makes the man. God is the one that gives wisdom. God is the one that gives instruction. So it sounds like to me, uh, men and fathers, that we need to pray to God and say, God, I need wisdom in uh, raising these children. I need wisdom in being a good dad, a good husband, a good... Listen, don't go to... I'm for books. We're going to give you a book today. I thank God for books. They help shed some light on some different areas. But can I tell you something? More than we need a self-help book, more than we need another book or another conference, we need God. We need God. I can bring in men and teach you how to be a man, but unless God does it, you'll fail. We need men. We need godly men. The Bible tells us that promotion cometh neither from the east, nor the west, nor the south, but God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another, Psalm 75. And by the way, the Bible also says that Mount Zion, the city of the great king, is on the sides of the north. You know what it sounds like to me? Promotion comes from heaven. Promotion comes from heaven. So many people trying to climb up the ladder. So many trying to advance their causes and recognize me and look at me and how many likes can I get and how many retweets can I get and what can I do and where can my name be? Listen, only God gives the promotion. Dads, let me tell you something. Don't worry about being super dad and popular dad and Mr. Dad and cool dad. Just be a godly dad. Just be a godly dad. I feel like preaching this morning. Number two, let me say God not only makes the man, but God requires a man to be just. Look at verse 3. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spake to me, He that ruleth over men must be just. We need men that are just. That's what he's basically thinking. Now, David struggled some in this area, especially toward the end of his life. David had some flaws. We know that. But David is saying, Solomon, in order for you to be a king that advances, that builds the temple, that does these wonderful things that God wants, you must be just. I, I, Micah 6.8 says, he, showed, he hath showed thee, old man, what is good, And what doth the Lord require of thee? Here's what the Lord requires of us, according to Micah 6, 8, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Proverbs chapter 11, verse number 1, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. The just man walketh in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. We hear some principles by Proverbs. We hear some uh, challenging uh, verses about being just. Amen. It's time that we just sink our feet down in the concrete of God's Word and just say, this is what it says and this is what we're going to do. And be just. Justice comes from the Lord. Be right. Be fair. Be honest and be just. God requires a man to be just. Hey, number three, a man who rules must be ruled. Look at verse number three again. It says in the, in the latter part of that verse, he that ruleth over men must be just, but then it says, comma, ruling in the fear of God. Living in the fear of God. You know the fear of God gives credibility to your leadership? 
today that is missing in society as a whole is we just don't fear God. What I mean by this is not looking up and saying, oh, I'm afraid that... No, no, it's the awe of God. It's the awe of God. It's His holiness. It's His wonder. It's His beauty. It's, listen, our God is a holy God. He's a loving God. He's a gracious God. He's a jealous God. He's a just God. He's a righteous God. And when we live each day in His righteousness and in His holiness and in His aweness and in His awesomeness and all the things, listen, we'll be a better Christian because we fear God. The eyes of the Lord are all over the earth, beholding the evil and the good. It's watching everything that we do. No, we've got this mentality in our mind that God is just up there and uh, He's wanting to squash us when we mess up. No, God loves us and He's merciful and He's forgiving, but He is God. And one day we'll stand before Him. Every one of us in here will stand before Him. Hey, Dad, you're going to stand before God. And guess what you're going to do? You're going to give an account. You give an account for your family. You are the shepherd of your family. Shepherds don't ask the sheep what they're going to do. My shepherd, my dad, never got up on Sunday and said, Well, kids, what you want to do today? Here's option one. Church, option two, the lake. Option three, a cabin in the woods. Option four, the beach. Option five, just stay home and play video games. Never. There was no options. You say, well, that sounds like tyranny. It was. It was a good one because I needed it. If he'd left the options up to me, we'd been sitting there in the house playing video games, eating cereal, hey, going to the lake or doing, going to the ball field. Hey, as a kid, I didn't really know the importance of being in God's house with God's people and with my family. Hey, I feel like preaching this morning, but can I tell you, listen, a man in this day and age must be ruled. You say ruled, ruled by God. Ruled by God. A man who rules must rule. Puritan John Brown said this, The fear of the Lord is when God's smile is our greatest delight and His frown is our greatest dread. How about this, number four? A man that is used by God to the maximum begins early in life. Look at verse four. And he shall be as the light of the morning. I love that phrase. When the sun rises so early, even a morning without clouds. That phrase stuck out to me. In the morning of our life, what is that? That's the early. We should be holy and pure before God. Listen to me, church, don't miss this. Some of you already... It's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to you. Let me just say this. Don't listen to the lie of the devil that tells you that you have to spend and go sow your wild oats in your first part of your life and then get right with God 
So you can go and tell everybody that, hey, I used to go out here and do this and do that, and I used to go this, but now I, hey, God can use that testimony, and listen, no doubt he's using that testimony to help so many people. But you young people, listen to me. You don't have to go out into the world and live like anything in order for God to use you. God wants to use you now. You say, well, I'm going to go out here because I know more than the preacher and I know more than my mom and dad and I know more than... No, you don't. No, you don't. Boy, I wish I could tell some of our teenagers, just come with me and I'll make a couple visits and let's just go down here. Let's just go in this counseling session. I just want you to hear, hey, you remember that old, uh, uh, that old uh, show, Scared Straight or Scared, when they take them kids into those places and scare the fire out of them. Don't you come into this prison. We'll eat you. We'll kill you. You know, All them kids are like this. And uh, you say, did it work? I'm not sure, but it scared the fire out of them. Won't you take some teenagers down to some parts of the county and show them what sin will do to them? Won't we interview a few, not for sake of condescending or making fun, but interview a few people that's life was ravaged by drugs and alcohol? Just tell these kids. Tell them. Be honest with them. Warn them. Drugs is a... Drugs is flowing through our streets like a flood. I cannot tell you the tears that has been shed over the phone calls that have come and saying, Pastor, pray for my kids. Hey, pray for my children. Hey, when did it, I don't know when it started, but I know this. Somewhere along the line, they believe the lie of the devil. You don't have to wait till you're older to serve God. By the way, there's a promise in the Bible, several. The Bible, listen to this. Hosea chapter 8, verse number 7, For they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. That's a promise. You sow the wind, the, sowing, the law of sowing and reaping. Hey, New Testament, Galatians chapter 6, verse number 8, For he that soweth of his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth of the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. I'd much rather sow the latter than the first. If you give in to the flesh, you'll reap the flesh. You give the Spirit and yield to the Spirit, you'll reap of the Spirit, life everlasting. Oh, serve God. Paul had a warning to Timothy. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lust. Man, be, be pure. Be pure. Look at me. There's no other woman out there better than the one you've got. Well, there's a woman at work. I'm telling you right now, her breath stinks. Her feet stinks. Just I'm you. Well, she's got an attitude. She's ornery. She's rebellious too. You might as well just stay with the one you got. Uh, that's real good, isn't it? I, I love you, baby. Y'all know what I mean. Well, there ain't going to be no problems over there like there's, pro there's going to be pro more problems than what you got. Oh, don't run around. No, sir, you be honest. Caving into youthful lust. I know this is not popular, but I'm telling you right now, this is what will help us. This is what will help us today. 
Be, be right, be holy, be pure. This is what we need in America today. This is the men that we need today. By the way, he, it's no accident that we go from 2 Samuel 23 and we go down from verse 1 all the way down to about verse 4 and then he goes down to verse 5 and he begins listing the mighty men. The mighty men. The rest of this chapter is dedicated to the men that was around David. Could it be that David had in mind when he was talking to Solomon, these are the type of men that you need to have around you? Well, think about it. What kind of men were around David? Well, look at it. Look with me in verse number 8. He lists these men. These be the names of the mighty men whom David had. The Tachmanite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains. The same was Adino, the Ezanite. He lifted up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. Now think about it. What would your odds be if I said, here's a spear and there's 800, go whoop them. 800, whooping, you know, that's, a, that's pretty bad in the South. Y'all don't understand. That's like next to the electric chair in the South. Go whoop these 800 men at one time, and he did it only with the spear. That is a bad dude right there. That is a guy that you don't want to meet anytime. He didn't have a machine gun. He didn't have a grenade. He didn't have a rocket launcher. He had a spear. And he beat these enemies, and the odds were against him. Can I say a mighty man stands against the odds? Oh, I just don't think you can do it in these days. I don't think you can raise up good children and a good family in 2023. Stand against the odds. It may be a low percentage. You may say, well, it just doesn't look very good. Let me tell you something. When you stand with God, your percentage goes up. You can. I'm telling you, you can. And, he, and Abishai, he did the same thing. He killed 300 with a spear and then killed a, a giant one of those giants, the son of Goliath, Ishbinab, Abishai took him out just to save the very life of David. These men stood against the odds. There was another man by the name of Benaniah. Look, look at verse number 20. Benaniah, Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, the, he, the son of a valiant man, verse 20, of Kabzeel, who had done many acts. There's no telling what all this guy did. He slew two lion-like men. Now think about this for just lion-like men. I don't know what they look like, but in my mind, I've got some imagination. We're, I, I'm thinking ahead of a lion, but now I don't know. You know, they obviously were human, but we're talking about men that were vicious. I mean, they compare Satan to a lion. So this man, these were lion-like men of Moab. So these were men that were the enemies of God. He went down and also slew a lion, a real lion, in the midst of a pit in a time of snow. You know what that tells me? It was slippery. It was cold. The odds were against him. He beat two giant men who hated him and a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Now try to put all that in your, I don't know what's going on. There's a lot going on in that text. But the odds were greatly against him. If, you, if I would have been in that, and this man ran like a woman away from these two lion men, I would have been screaming, throwing my spear down and just ran away. 
Oh, you say, why? The odds would be greatly against you in the midst of the snow especially. But he did it. He also defeated an Egyptian. Look at verse 21. This is a bad dude. He slew an Egyptian, a a goodly man, meaning that this was a well-sized man. Here's how he did it. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but he went down to him with a staff and plucked the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and slew him with his own spear. He said, I'm going to beat you. How are you going to beat me? With your own spear. Yeah, try it. Bam, boom, bam, bam. God, he's done. <laughs> Y'all like that? I hope you've seen it. Well, what did he do? He stood against the odds. We need men, would to God, we have men that would stand against the odds. When the going gets tough, the tough get going, right? Oh man, preacher, I I hate I wasn't there today, I had a hangnail. Well, (laughs) hangnails are rough sometimes, but you ought to be in the house of God. We find the excuse, every excuse in the world not to be in the house of God. Well, this has happened, and this has happened, and this has happened. Listen, friend, quit looking for excuses and get a hold of God. How about this? Number six, I I love this. Look at verse nine. The Bible says this, and after there was Eliezer, the son of Dodo. Can I say this? He was fighting his whole life. You say, how do you know? His dad's name was Dodo. And every time someone said, your dad's name's Dodo, bam! He'd fight her, never pick on his dad. If you had a dad named Dodo, you would be a fighter too. So after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ohahite, one of the three mighty men of David, with David, when they defied the Philistines that were there gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away. Notice what he did. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave unto the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day. And the people returned after him only to spoil. This man had undiminished resolve. Undiminished resolution. What's a mighty man have? He has undiminished resolution. The Bible says that he fought so hard and was so valiant that they had to come when the war was open and they had to pry his fingers off of the sword because he wasn't letting go. Let me tell you something. That guy right there, that's who I'd want on my team. The guy that's not going to give up. Retreat? Oh, I don't even know that word. Run? I don't even know that word. Whatever it is, listen, these people had resolve. They had resolution. Notice what else happened. Look at verse 39, the last verse in our text. The Bible says, Uriah the Hittite, 30 and 7 in all. A mighty man is a man of undying loyalty. If you think about this for just a minute, Uriah had every reason to turn on David. He had every reason. Think about this. If you know the story of Bathsheba, he was married to Bathsheba. David basically took Bathsheba from Uriah while he was in battle and tried to coerce Uriah off of the battlefield to 
go and have a party, basically, and get drunk and just be merry, and then come in to know his wife because he had already been with Bathsheba and she was already expecting a child with David. It was a mess. I mean, it was a mess. When Uriah said, I won't do it, I've got men out there on the battlefield, I am not abandoning those men and coming back here and enjoying all this food and all these festivities. I'm not doing it, David, I love you. But he slept by the door and would not go in and know his wife. So David knew that he was that loyal. Sent him out to the hottest part of the battle only to know he would never return. Uriah died a loyal man. A loyal man. When his king was not loyal to him, he was loyal to his king. Amen. Can I just say, loyalty is something that cannot be bought. You be loyal. Don't be wishy-washy and all over the place. Hey, be loyal. Uriah speaks of the loyalty men that was around David. No wonder David was great. I mean, David was a man who sought after God's heart. He was a great man. But think about this. You're only as great as the people you're around. David was around mighty men. About this, lastly. Look at verse 11 and 12. Y'all been good this morning. Listen to this. And after him was Shammah. This is my favorite. Shama, the son of Aji, the Herorite. And the Philistines were gathered together in a troop where was a piece of ground full of lentils. Lentils were uh, beans. It was a bean field. This is where Israel would get their food. This was a source of food for them and very important. And the people fled from the Philistines, so they abandoned this field. They were just going to let Philistines have it. But he stood. When everybody else was running the other direction, old Shama stood in the midst of the ground, listen, and defended it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. When everybody else was running backwards and running away, Shama stood and defended that which was important. Men, mighty men, stand when no one else is standing. They are willing to stand alone. You say, Pastor, why is Shama your favorite? Well, I, I don't, you know, they're all my favorite, but. A few years ago, I received a letter from a hero of mine named Pastor Johnny Pope. It was a random letter, just in the middle of, you know, summertime or whatever. It was just a letter. And in that letter, he challenged me to keep the faith, to stand tall in the day of apostasy and the, all the winds of doctrine. He said he was seeing some things on the horizon that young men and young pastors are going to face. And he said, I just want to challenge you to stand for what's right. And then at the very bottom of that letter, he wrote 2 Samuel 23 and verse 12. And it says, but he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it. 
and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. Shammah defended the food. He defended the food supply for Israel. When others fled, Shammah stood. I can't help but think about those three Hebrew boys that stood in the face of opposition when they said, I want you to bow when you hear all the, the trumpets and you hear the clarinets and, the, and all the things that began to blow. He said, when, they, when, they, uh, when, when you hear that, you bow down to our God. And those three Hebrew, when everybody else bowed, they stood. By the way, in the face of death, if you don't bow, you'll burn. And even knowing that, they stood for what's right. Men, can I just say this? It is not popular. It is not ever going to be popular. The more wicked this world gets, it's going to get even less popular. But we must stand. We must stand. What's a mighty man? A man stands for truth. Stands with compassion. Stands with dignity. Stands with integrity. Stands with character. Stands with loyalty. Stands with a spirituality. He fears God, and he seeks God. I heard a message this week. I was in Durham, uh, North Carolina, preaching to a lot of singles and teenagers this week. Wonderful conference. Um, heard a message that was preached by a man. He'll be here later in August. John Anderson, wonderful pastor. John preached a message out of Exodus and he was over, I think, Exodus 33, and there was a little phrase in there. He said, I'll give you my provision. I'll provide for you. God did to Israel. But Israel had disobeyed God, and he said, but I will not go. That's what God said to Israel, his people. He said, I will not go with you. I will not go with you. And John said this, we are so interested in, in wanting God's hand. He provides, he protects that we have lost sight of his face. What's God say to us? He said, if you'll seek my face. Second Chronicles 7.14. If you'll seek my face. He didn't say seek my hand. Everybody today wants God's hands because they want what God hands them. But he said, don't seek my hand. Nowhere does he say seek my hand. He says, seek my face. That's the smile of God. It's God's presence. We should seek after God's presence. Men, it's time we step up and quit wanting everybody else to lead spiritually and let's lead. Quit seeking God's hand and start seeking His face. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you.